Welcome to the latest episode of Rule Books and Roadmaps, our FH Brussels podcast hosted by me, Jim Brunsden, with guests drawn from among our talented team and beyond. Our continuing mission on this podcast to map the trails that link national political debates to EU policy proposals, to hack away the foliage that gets in the way of seeing what is really driving Brussels, and to navigate the plumbing of that unique pressure cooker that is the EU decision-making machine. In this episode, we take a peek across the EU's borders to its newest neighbour, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Not another Brexit podcast, I hear many of you cry. Well, good news, it isn't. At least, it's not the kind of Brexit podcast you might be expecting. With Rishi Sunak now in office as UK Prime Minister, and on the working assumption that he will manage to stay there at least a bit longer than his predecessor, we thought now was the right time, after a turbulent few weeks, months, years in UK politics, to address some aspects of a fundamental question. What is the new EU-UK relationship? What governs it? What defines it? And what does it mean for EU policymaking? This is going to mean lifting our eyes a bit from the politics of the day, gripping though they are, and looking at what happens when you stick some pretty complicated legal fencing through what was once the smooth meadow of the pre-Brexit EU single market. The UK is now the only country in Western Europe not to be a member of at least one out of the EU, the European Economic Area, EFTA and the Schengen Free Travel Zone. We're closing in on three years of experience of post-Brexit life and two years of experience with the UK's post-Brexit trade deal. So can we point to some of the pillars, be they legal, structural, political, of that new relationship and plot some future trends? For example, when it comes to regulatory divergence, future political cooperation and potential policy conflict. The UK is on a path of hunting for Brexit dividends. Rishi Sunak said outside 10 Downing Street on the day of his appointment that part of his mission was to build an economy that embraces the opportunities of Brexit, where businesses invest, innovate and create jobs. But even beyond that specific Brexit agenda, there are all kinds of policy choices on each side of the channel that have a Brexit angle, especially when it comes to Northern Ireland, which finds itself in the unique situation of belonging to both the UK market and the EU single market. For example, tax policies and state subsidies have the potential to damage the economic level playing field between the EU and UK, while, during the pandemic, the EU ran headlong into an explosive row with the UK after it momentarily considered applying EU vaccine export restrictions to Northern Ireland. Here to help me navigate my way through this whole complex picture is my colleague Neve Griffin from our financial services practice and our Brexit team. Hello Neve. Hi Jim. So Neve, you know, as, as we've said, the UK is now outside pretty much all the structured forms of cooperation that, that we associate with, with the European project, and it's basically outside of all of them. Um, so, so what's left? How deep does it run? What does it do? Yes, so to begin with, the structure of the EU-UK relationship is now based on two pieces of legislation, the Withdrawal Agreement and the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, also known as the TCA. The Withdrawal Agreement was negotiated between 2017 and 2019, it defined the terms of the UK's withdrawal from the EU based on Article 50 of the treaty, and the EU wanted this agreed as a first step before it would enter into trade negotiations with the UK. And one could be forgiven for forgetting that this is where the protocol, the Northern Ireland Protocol, comes from. It was actually agreed this time three years ago by both parties, but more, more on that later. So, okay, so, Neve, so we have two pieces of legislation. We have, we have the withdrawal agreement, we have the TCA. Withdrawal agreement's about the leaving. TCA is about building something new. Although, uh, as you pointed out already, we have a situation actually where sort of part of the trading system is actually within in the withdrawal agreements because the specific trading arrangements for, for Northern Ireland um, are in there. Um, so already this is this is quite a complex tapestry. Um, the um, the trading relationship it creates, we know 
it's very different to being in the single market because um, we've seen that businesses face barriers to doing business that didn't exist before. So what kind of trading relationship does the TCA establish? Like what kind of trading relationship is, is, there, is there now between the EU and the UK? Yes, so it's based on three main pillars. Uh, the first being the free trade agreement covering trade in goods and services, but also fisheries, which was a very contentious issue for both the EU, uh, EU fisheries countries and the UK. Then things also like transport, energy policy, and rules to ensure a level playing field between the two jurisdictions. So covering competition and state aid, labour standards, and environmental standards as well. So I can think of some obvious ways in which, obviously, we're seeing in real life, this is very different to being in the EU, right? So the UK is not represented, represented in the EU institutions. Um, the UK is not in the single market. So we're seeing that there's checks on, on, on goods. Like there's, 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 there's sanitary and phytosanitary checks, for example, that didn't exist before in the trading relationship. There's a very special relationship um, when it comes to trade um, created for Northern Ireland. All these things are, are very different to what existed before. But um, that means sort of there are things that have been lost, but also something new has been created. And that would seem to be all the sort of operational arrangements that are needed to, to run the, the TCA and, and run the withdrawal agreement. So, so how, how does that work, basically? Where are UK and EU officials now talking to each other to administer all this? How, how does it compare to what existed before? So... This is set out under the governance chapter of the Trade and Cooperation Agreement. Uh, it's a much bigger and uh, more complex structure than, say, under the Withdrawal Agreement. So at the political level of the TCA, um, it is led by the Partnership Council. So this is chaired by Commissioner Sefcovic and the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly. Um, it has only met once in this configuration since last year, which might be a reflection of how tough the relationship is a lot of the time. But legally, it's only obli obliged to meet once per year anyway, and we do now expect that to happen before Christmas. The Partnership Council is then assisted by 10 specialised committees, um, specialised committees on trade, each covering a different part of the trade agreement, such as IP, rules of origin, and things like that. Then there's about eight committees covering other areas of the TCA, such as energy, fisheries, and participation in EU programmes. So they discuss the implementation of the agreement, discuss any issues, try to resolve them, and then make recommendations to the Partnership Council if they think amendments to the agreement are needed. Then lastly, on the structures of the TCA, the Partnership Council is supposed to assess the governance chapter of the agreement in 2024, and the whole agreement is supposed to be then renewed every five years. So the first review would probably take place in 2026. So, Neve, that, that's that's the basic structure of the TCA. So that's the whole series of committees where actually EU and UK officials are, are talking you know, regularly in, in these different fora at different levels to try and administer this, this new complex trading relationship which contains more barriers than the old trading relationship when the UK was in the single market. It's a totally different state of affairs. Um, but what about the, the withdrawal agreement and the Northern Ireland Protocol? Because, you know, in... On paper, the withdrawal agreement is about leaving. The future relationship agreement, the TCA, is about the future relationship post-Brexit. But in practice, you know, the withdrawal agreement and the pro especially the protocol appear to be a live issue, as we see from newspaper headlines almost every week. Yeah, exactly. So going back to the protocol, um, I mean, there was a reason why the Commission wanted this sorted out as a first step before delving into trade negotiations. So in the last few years, we've seen that many developments in Europe can have a Brexit angle through the prism of the protocol because of Northern Ireland's position as being both part of the UK single market and the EU single market for goods and the EU customs union at the same time. So some of the issues that might arise might be unintended consequences or difficult to have foreseen. 
So these days we understand that there are concerns that the protocol might hinder the UK's ability to help companies with the energy crisis um, and the cost of living crisis as well. Um, we understand that this is more recently being discussed at the committee on the protocol. Another example was the UK's VAT cut for energy saving materials. It couldn't be implemented in Northern Ireland as the protocol obliges the region to follow EU VAT rules. However, a workaround was possible that didn't breach the protocol. So that's one thing that was worked out and without going through any sort of other mechanisms. Of the many issues the UK has with the protocol, one major one is the role of the European Court of Justice in the oversight of the implementation of the protocol as the ECJ is the ultimate arbiter of EU law. Despite having agreed to this in 2019, it re-emerged as a red line for the UK shortly afterwards, much to the annoyance of the EU. But it's just as much a red line for the EU as the ECJ is the ultimate decider in EU law, and Northern Ireland applies EU law in many areas under the protocol. So how this can be resolved, given the two positions on it, still remains to be seen. So I think this is a really important point. Like, so we basically actually, in reality, got a situation where effectively in large part because of the Northern Ireland Protocol, the TCA and the withdrawal agreement are sort of functioning together and, and create a trading system together. And it's a trading system with, you know, one set of rules for goods crossing from Dover to Calais and, and, and another and another set of rules for UK products ent entering Northern Ireland and, and what happens from there, um, given the huge political and peace imperative of making sure that there was there was not a land border on the island of Ireland. Um, you mentioned the ECJ, Neve. So this is really important as well. So these these are these are agreements that set in place trading arrangements, and they're enforceable. Um, so we have sort of arbitrations and dispute settlement systems in them. Um, one question people might be asking themselves is, why is the ECJ playing such a big role in all in all of this? You mentioned it, it's a very important red line for for both sides. But um, given that the UK, as mentioned at the top of all this, is is now completely outside the whole process of European integration, wh where does the ECJ come into play in, in this in this Northern Ireland Protocol and, and in the TCA context? This is fundamentally because through the protocol, Northern Ireland has to apply EU rules uh, under the single market for goods and under the EU customs union. Um, okay, so Neve, so we've seen that from what you've said, actually the withdrawal agreement and the TCA are, are sort of functioning together to build a trading system with a set of trading relations uh, relations that are particular for, for Northern Ireland because of the because of the political and peace process imperative of not having a land border on the island of Ireland and and trading arrangements which apply differently, for example, when it comes to goods crossing from Dover to Calais and, and vice versa um, across the Channel. Uh, but you also mentioned the ECJ, so some people might be wondering, well, why is the ECJ playing a role here, given that, you know, at the top of this, we said the UK is now out of all the structured forms of European integration. So wh where is the ECJ coming into play? So the ECJ still plays a role in Northern Ireland because of the protocol, because through the protocol, Northern Ireland still has to apply EU single market rules for goods and the EU's customs code. And when it comes to the TCA, it still has a role wherever the TCA touches upon EU law. So the ECJ has this sort of role that basically it's variable geometry, really, because the ECJ is, is, is more present, really, front and centre when it comes to enforcement of, of the protocol. And it's, you know, it's, its role in the TCA, it sounds like, is, is more distant because it's about interpreting EU law. But the idea of the TCA is that it's, and this was something that was very important for the UK in the negotiations, is that the TCA should not be reliant on EU law wherever it's possible to, uh, to avoid being reliant on EU law because it was meant to establish a new um, independent trading system outside of um, outside of European integration so um, that, I guess that brings us to the TCA and you mentioned Eve, that there's this and you explained that there's this structure of, of committees and they sort of go from the more technical level to the more mm -hmm. to the more political level um, the, you know, given that this is a, a complex trading system to administer with you know rules on which goods can come into the European market tariff free for example 
what do these what do these committees find themselves doing? What what's occupying their time? Because of course their job isn't to replicate the single market; it's to do something else, which is to administer this deal. So, what does that amount to in practice? Well, they discuss problems as they arise. So, as we're saying, not all of these things can be foreseen. It depends on the political developments of the day and the kind of crisis that the EU and the UK are facing. So on the trade agreement, one of the things that came up in one of the committees is on the UK subsidies for offshore wind energy projects. But instead of using the dispute mechanism under the trade agreement, the Commission actually brought this case to the WTO instead on the basis that it violates WTO principles uh, as the projects allegedly favour UK projects over imported content and so violates WTO rules. So, so, this, so that's something else that's interesting about this is that actually it goes to show that you know the, the, the UK and EU sort of structured relationship through the TCA it, it doesn't actually exist in isolation. The, the EU and the UK are members of, of global fora as well, like the WTO. And so, in this case, actually, it appears you know the EU had to decide how to pursue this and, and, and went for the went for the WTO um, option um, primarily. Um, and I know also there's um, the case where. Uh, the UK has requested consultations through the TCA about the fact that the EU is, is holding back on granting UK scientists participation in Horizon Europe, the, the EU Science and Research Programme, for example. So I guess that's, that's, another, that's another example of, of, of where these structures um, are being used to, to, to raise concerns or say, you know, this isn't in line with what was agreed. Yes, yeah, so this is currently under dispute resolution proceedings that were launched by the UK in August, I believe. So the UK's participation in the programme was negotiated as part of the trade agreement. However, the Commission has since been blocking access to it, sort of in retaliation for the UK's proposed legislation on Northern Ireland, so the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, that would give the UK powers to supply large parts of the protocol. So because of this bill, which is currently making its way through the House of Lords, UK universities and UK-based researchers may miss out on huge amounts of funding through grants that come through Horizon Europe. So this is an ac action example of where the political relationship is also impacting the economic relationship as well. Yeah, and th this is a really important point. So um, we have this whole structure of committees which are meant to administer the trade deal, and the trade deal is, is there. It's been legally ratified. Um, but obviously, above all of this, is, is the political weather of the day. And, and we see the impact of that um, in, in the discussions on the Northern Ireland Protocol, where there are, are real practical concerns um, about uh, how the protocol is applying on the ground. Um, but and those are linked to to a very high level political dispute um, between the EU and the UK over the functioning of, of, the, pro of the protocol. So, you, what is uh, this is a big question? What what is that that political relationship now, and where is that manifesting itself, Eve? Because you mentioned the Partnership Council's met once so far. It's meant to meet annually. Um, basically, what's happening at the moment is is the more specialised levels of, of committees are going through their their meetings, and so at the end of that process, um, presumably we get to another meeting of the Partnership Council, um, but the UK and the EU don't just meet politically in, in the Partnership Council. They 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 meet in other in other fora and all other other kinds of contacts as well. So where, where's that happening and how's that playing out? Both jurisdictions are major players in sort of multilateral cooperation. So we see this at the G7, the G20, the OECD, and the Financial Action Task Force, for example. Um, if we look at the mentions of the OECD and FATF in the trade agreement, both jurisdictions agreed to implement standards on tax and AML, respectively, um, under their obligations from the OECD and Financial Action Task Force. And say, for example, when it comes to divergence, both jurisdictions are now actually reforming their anti-money laundering frameworks. And this is an area where there's at least baseline similarities because both jurisdictions have obligations to implement standards set by the Financial Action Task Force. We also see this with tax policy as well, with the international uh, tax agreement by the OECD.
and both the EU and the UK uh, are major players when it comes to trying to implement both pillars of this agreement. So it's quite, it's quite important that they both cooperate at the international level. Yeah, so, so I guess sort of the, the point to underline here is is um, is that you know there is there is life to this relationship that goes beyond all the legal structures created by the the, the protocol and the TCA. You know the, the the structures created by the the protocol, the wider withdrawal agreement, and the TCA are there to help with administering administering sorry these agreements. They're there to help with with problem solving, and and they they can be used um, to to deal with problems that have gone up to the highest political level, like the the row over the application of of, of the protocol. Um, you know they are there as, as 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 means to to ends and can be um, technocratic, but they can also be um, used to to resolve problems that are of big political concern. But there is life in the relationship beyond these structures and all kinds of other contacts going on. So, for example, like bilateral meetings between EU and, and UK ministers, um, for example, or very important contacts between Irish government um, ministers and and the UK government um, over Northern, over Northern Ireland, for example. Um, but also, Neve, I know also there are um, something you've been looking into is that there are also you know political level fora for for cooperation, um, and indeed there is a new one that recently sprung into existence, which is the European Political Community, uh, which Liz Truss, the now former UK Prime Minister during her brief stint at the helm of UK affairs, did decide to attend. So um, you know that would seem to be at odds with everything else we've talked about so far. We've got we've got a UK that's out of of European integration but in to all these new sort of more sort of technocratic and structured cooperation agreements, arrangements created by the agreements. So what's going on here? Yeah, so the European political community met a few weeks ago in Prague. This was originally Emmanuel Macron's idea to bring together broader Europe, so including EU accession countries like Ukraine and also the UK. Um, this just actually gone quite well at the, at the meeting a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the major successes, maybe, of her couple of weeks in power. Um, but at the end of the day, the UK can play quite a constructive role in this because the EU and the UK have quite similar objectives when it comes to facing the different crises that broader Europe is facing when it comes to the war, um, energy supply, the cost of living crisis, and you know, previously COVID as well. So, so if that's at the governmental level, we can see actually, yeah, the, the European political community purpose-built to allow top-level political contacts um, between EU leaders and, and, and wider Europe, the neighbourhood, which now includes the UK. Uh, but what about at the parliamentary level? Yeah, so under the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, um, it allows for the setup of an EU-UK parliamentary assembly with representatives from the European Parliament and the House of Commons and House of Lords. So they had their first meeting in the spring and they're actually having their second meeting in November. They can exchange views on issues under the Trade and Cooperation Agreement and actually make recommendations to the Partnership Council as well if they wish for things, some things to be changed. On the European Parliament side, the UK delegation holds meetings every couple of months in Strasbourg and Brussels, and they invite UK officials to come and speak to them and exchange views on different areas as well. So maybe on law enforcement and judicial cooperation or on you know, bills going through the Houses of, Co Houses of Parliament. Neve, having, having, having both of us talked... Um, uh, talks about what what is there, so sort of the, the positive side of well, what what does exist. Um, I think we should probably talk about what's missing, and um, we know from the negotiations on the TCA in this sort of structured relationship, there are things missing. Um, there were issues where, which for one reason or another, have not been sort of built built out to the fullest extent that was considered um, within within this new structured relationship. So, is it possible to have an example of a, a couple of those and the consequences of that? 
So a major example of this is on financial services, where there's a lack of political or sort of formalised cooperation between the EU and the UK. So this was deliberately kept out of the trade agreement, and instead both sides agreed to negotiate a memorandum of understanding um, to establish a regulatory dialogue, which they actually did in March last year. But this, co this coincided with problems with the UK's implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol, so the EU member states didn't give their final blessing or sort of sign-off on the Memorandum of Understanding. And so the big meeting that should have been happening twice per year since early last year hasn't been happening at all. The intention of this dialogue was similar to that of the EU-US dialogue, where officials would meet at the political level, so presumably the Chancellor and the Financial Services Commissioner, with uh, representatives of the Treasury and DG FISMA, and there would also be preparatory work and debriefings afterwards. So this is a big dialogue, that a, a big area for cooperation that just isn't happening in the last almost two years. It's, it's super interesting. So it's an area of structured cooperation that's not happening because it's impacted by the, 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 political, the overall political context, the overall political weather of the relationship. Um, or to look at it another way, it's, it's, it's one bit of the relationship impacting the other in, in a negative way. Exactly, but um, however, it's important to point out that officials in DG FISMA and the Treasury are speaking quite regularly, as do officials in ESMA and the FCA and the Bank of England and, and the, the ECB. So even without a, a really formalised structure, much like in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. So um, yeah, pe people do still do still talk to each other. It's just that that structured cooperation is not there. And of course, for foreign affairs as well is one one I, I I remember from back in the day of the of the negotiations on the future relationship agreement. It, it was very much the UK's choice. So the EU talked about having a structured foreign policy cooperation relationship, um, but that that was not in line with um, with the vision of Brexit of, of the UK government um, at that time. So uh, some, something else that um, that was not included. Okay, so. Neve, I think that brings us to the point where we need to do a bit of crystal ball gazing about all of this. So coming back to Rishi Sunak's comments on the step on everyone always says the steps of Downing Street. Actually, I saw someone pointed out on Twitter the other day, there aren't any steps except the ones going up to the door and no one ever stands on them. But anyway, on the steps of the metaphorical steps of Downing Street, Rishi Sunak said, you basically, we are going to go find these Brexit dividends. We're going to go find this post-Brexit economic model that, that works for Britain, you know, reap the benefits of, of, of Brexit. Um, these are things we've heard before, you know, since since since, since the referendum. Um, but Sunak is saying he's going to deliver on them. Um, so that means presumably making different policy choices to the EU. It means regulatory divergence from the EU. Otherwise, how's there a dividend if you're doing exactly the same things as, as the EU? So um, gazing into our crystal ball a bit, that brings us to the moment where we have to engage in some tentative crystal ball gazing here. So we know um, Rishi Sunak uh, stood in Downing Street and said that he was going to find Brexit dividends, he was going to find the economic model um, that makes you know makes the most out of Brexit, so that means finding wins from Brexit, um, and um, that means almost inevitably different policy choices and regulatory divergence from the EU, because if you're going to do everything the same as the EU, well, where's the Brexit advantage? Uh, so looking at this architecture we've been describing, this apparatus of this relationship, um, where, where does that where does where does that agenda take it? Like, what kind of stresses does it put on that system, or you know, what kind of topics does it mean will dominate discussions w within that system looking forward? Seeing as we have a UK Prime Minister who's on the hunt for those Brexit wins. Yeah, exactly. Brexit inherently means divergence. So going back to financial services, I think we already mentioned that there have been a lot of developments in this area in the last couple of years. Um, but post-Brexit divergence is a function of developments on both sides, and both sides are strategic rivals here. So uh, an example of this is you know, where both sides are moving on insurance regulation under Solvency 2, and here the UK is keen to make, it, make its rules less burdensome and more adapted to the sector in its own jurisdiction. 
Another example is the EU's MIFI review and on the UK side, the Wholesale Markets Review. Yeah, exactly. Where we've got an example there, actually, where the UK is a living counterfactual for, for the EU. And, and actually, because of the UK, the UK hosting a global scale financial centre, that's an area where we're seeing increasing concern on the EU side that actually the EU can't fall too far out of lockstep. With the, with the with the UK um, from the point of view of maintaining the EU's own attractiveness, competitiveness um, as, as, as a multipolar financial centre. Another important policy area to point out is on data protection rules. So where this goes depends on where the UK's own data reform bill goes, but the EU could decide to revoke its data adequacy decision if the UK diverges too much from the GDPR. And if this happened, it would cause a lot of problems for businesses to ensure data could flow on both sides of the border. Yeah, so these these are issues coming up, avoidable or unavoidable, which are going to need to be processed through this new through this new trading relationship, this this political relationship, and and conclusions drawn. Um, also, we've seen recently the EU and the US having some tensions over the Inflation Reduction Act in the US. So that's a big pillar of the US's energy crisis response, um, with 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 su- with subsidies and tax breaks designed to encourage the development of of uh, clean tech, green technologies, um, on the other side of the Atlantic. And um, and Neve, obviously, you mentioned the specialised committees that exist under the TCA, and you know one one I remember is there's one there specifically on the level playing field, you know about sort of whether whether the conditions have been preserved for fair competition, um, and and raising concerns on, on on either side there. So pulling all that together, how do we see things developing in the future? What what kind of a what kind of a trajectory are EU UK relationships on now we are now we are into the Sunak era? Well, that's a very, very good question, but uh, the last few years have shown that it's not wise to make big predictions on on the EU-UK relationship. Uh, There are some things we can say, however. There will always be issues with Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland Protocol because of the politics of Brexit and the politics of Northern Ireland itself. To keep on that point, in 2024, the Assembly in Belfast will have to vote on the continuation of the Protocol. So that will be another flashpoint, especially if there is no sitting Assembly at the time. Uh, also, again, in 2026, we'll have the whole um, trade agreement reviewed. So that could be another flashpoint. But then again, we might have a whole different set of leaderships uh, at the top. But as we were saying earlier, a lot depends on the political weather at the time. Um, the EU-UK relationship is a massive, complex structure. It was never going to be easy. Um, so it inherently needs a lot of careful management. The technical committees work fairly well, and they work quite hard. And that can help take the political heat out of the situation but it needs political intervention from time to time and it needs a good relationship between politicians at the top. Um, and for that, there needs to be goodwill and a lack of animosity on both sides. And that really hasn't been the, no- the norm for the last few years, far from it. But once again, with a new prime minister, there's an opportunity for a fresh start. There yeah, are other external crises yeah. as well, such as the war and energy supply and whatever else the future throws at us, which might push the EU and UK to working more closely together. Yeah, it's exactly. So it's 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 this. It's it's as you say. It's um, incredibly hard to predict, um, but you can see that it's um, you know it's it's a co- it's a complicated world out there with huge geopolitical challenges, and uh, and the EU UK are near neighbours with all the sort of complications, but also the potential benefits of cooperation that that can bring. Um, I guess one conclusion I'm drawing from this uh, is something you said, Neve. It's, it's that everything has a Brexit angle. And um, and a lot of the time that runs through Northern Ireland, and um, so obviously that's going to be cr- critical to the relationship going forward. Um, but Neve, thank you so much for joining us, and um, everyone out there, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you, Joe.